You can find us wherever you get your podcasts or on our website, www.standinguptopots.org slash podcast. And I would add, if you have any ideas or topics you'd like to suggest, send them in. You can also engage with us on social media at the handle Standing Up to Pots. Thanks for listening, and we hope you join us. This show is a production of Standing Up to Pots. Hello, fellow POTS patients and nice people who care about POTS patients. I'm Jill Brooke, and today we have an episode of the POTS Diaries, where we get to know someone in the POTS community and hear their story. So today we are speaking with Linda, who kindly volunteered to share her experiences so that we might all benefit. Linda, thank you for being here with us today. Thank you for having me, and I'm so glad that I stumbled upon this platform. This is wonderful what you're doing. Oh, thank you. For starters, do you mind just introducing yourself a little bit? What would you say to me if I met you at a party? What should I know about you? What's the basics? Well, we currently live in Pennsylvania. Me and my husband are getting ready to celebrate our 35th wedding anniversary. We have an older, an older son that lives in New England. And then we have our daughter who is disabled from POTS and some of the other comorbidities at home with us here. And right now, a lot of times I feel like, like pretty much I just live, eat and breathe POTS. I don't, I'm like obsessed about it. I don't talk about anything else. (laughs) So how old is your daughter? And do you mind sharing what her comorbidities are in addition to POTS? So she has EDS, the hypermobile part. She got started with Dr. Abdullah, and he actually said that she has one of the most severe cases of POTS that he's seen only in a handful of patients. I mean, it has completely crippled her, and she's confined to the second floor of our house. It's it's awful. So you had mentioned that your daughter had EDS, joint hypermobility, and she's confined to the top floor of your home. She is. She has a, she has a port. She does IV infusions five days a week. She is diagnosed with chronic hypovolemia. She has just recently been diagnosed with gastroparesis, so we really did not need that diagnosis on type of everything else. And then we had a separate set of issues before in that she, she was born diagnosed with being on the autistic spectrum with NLD. So life has always been very, very, very hard for her. And so I, I'm not sure why this had to happen on top of everything else. So, and you and I were talking earlier that there's a link that has just been connecting EDS with the autism spectrum. So that's been very validating as for her as a patient and for me as a mom. So you have so much going on here. Before we pick apart some of the parts with the chronic illness, maybe can we back up the beginning of your daughter's life? And what was that like? How many years did she have before POTS was in the picture? So that's the thing. I'm actually not sure if she hasn't always had POTS, 
but something kept it at bay because when she was little, she used to run up to me and say, Mommy, my heart is beeping. I just thought that that was really cute. And then she would later go on to be diagnosed as having asthma. And maybe she did or she didn't have asthma. But the medications that she was on, she, for some reason, when she started getting older, she took herself off of that medication without the direction of a doctor. And once she did that, it activated the mast cell. The combination of those three medications seemed to somehow, you know, and then we thought, well, maybe if we try to give it up to her, it'll make it switch it off, but it didn't. That was just an observation. I'm certainly not an expert on that. But like I said, I do feel like I spend a lot of time trying to connect the dots. But she spent her whole entire life academically on an IEP. And so she she did successfully graduate from high school. It's a lot of hard work on her part. She spent as many hours sitting at the kitchen table doing homework every day as she did at school. That was pretty much her father's mission and our mission was, you know, we had raised our oldest and he was in college on the East Coast. And so she was our focus and that's what we did. And we got her graduated. And then she found a job and started working at a daycare center and loved it and she started picking up infections and viruses because she was working in the room with the babies and the infants and the toddlers and i wasn't paying attention to it because of her age she's driving herself to the doctor repeatedly throwing antibiotics at her and then she started developing chronic utis and she got one that was really bad and it was resistant to antibiotics and so they gave her a package of antibiotics i don't remember what they were but it seems like that's what flipped the switch in her body with the pots neither one of us had ever seen anything like it so you mentioned that her pots is really severe what are her symptoms what, what do they look like well i i believe that it's that she's very run down she doesn't sleep well I think it's just a whole bunch of things together. I think she's going through some adrenaline surges at night. She has a very difficult time riding in a car, so it's hard to get her to, to appointments. She gets sick from the motion. She has very, very bad daily migraines that also accompany this. Then, of course, the EDS, her, her bones, I mean, it seems like she's being held together with tape and it's it's becoming so challenging to get her i only need to get her out of the house one day a week to this physical therapy and it's not always easy to get her to that appointment and so this just this week she had pt and and she ended up just throwing up all the way there. And, and so I went in and I explained what had happened. And she's like, there's no way I can do PT. And so it's time for us to look into other options of maybe having it done at home. So that's where we're at with that. Cause it's just a vicious cycle. Yeah. It sounds like every little thing is so hard and making progress on one thing involves needing to do things that just aren't possible because of other reasons. And, I, and I've heard this before, I feel like it resonates with me, where sometimes you have so many different things going on that it's very difficult to make progress on any one front. Is that what it feels like? 
Yeah, because something else will hold her back. She'll have a setback from that. And then you know how it is with the with the protocol for PT for POTS. I mean, if you miss a few weeks of it, you've got to start over again. And I, I actually don't know how much actual physical therapy that she's getting when she goes in because it's. I think that she's spending so much of the time taping her, her spine and her hips and her shoulders. Can I ask how she's doing psychologically? You can. It can get very dark around here. She's always struggled with, although some of it I think might have been not necessarily been anxiety and panic, it was maybe POTS, but we have always had anxiety, major anxiety and depression in this household when it comes to her. So I have her working with a grief therapist right now, which has been very helpful. So I can hear how much time and energy you invest in trying to make things better for her. Can we focus on you for a second? And can we hear about what was your life before chronic illness entered your family? What were you doing? What were your activities? What was your focus at that time? And how long ago are we talking? Well, I was always a stay-at-home mom, but I always had aspirations to be a decorator. And so when our youngest got to a certain age in school, I started taking the classes and then I started a business. And then she started getting sick. Constant things like following her in an ambulance to the ER and trying to get a hold of a client and saying, you know, look, I'm, I, I'm sorry that you took your lunch break for me to meet you, but I have to go to the hospital and they would hang up on me, you know. And so I ended up closing my business and just focusing on doing what we could do to get her better and figure out what's going on. And we're about six years into this journey now. But boy, was it scary when it first started. Because I, you know, I, I didn't necessarily think to look on like Facebook and places like that for support. And, you know, oh my goodness, things like this is awesome. Yeah. And, you know, I imagine that people who are in our world and are in the same position as you or me, they probably get it how time consuming this can be and how it can take all of your focus. But in case there's somebody out there listening who's saying, what do you mean it takes all your focus? Like, can you say, what are some of the specific things that you have been doing to try to manage this and make it better for your daughter? I don't know if I can give you a direct answer with that. I kind of feel like the pandemic has, has caused me to take some deep reflection and make some improvements in my life. I think sometimes people who maybe are not in the chronic illness world don't know just how much time it takes to read up on all of these things and to try to get an appointment and get on a wait list and do all of the things that are needed to do and all the experiments and trying everything. Yes, try it. I, you know, I feel like at this point we've kind of exhausted everything. She's kind of to a point where she's over being poked and prodded because there's never any new answers or it really is. It's heartbreaking as a mother. Yeah. Do you feel like you have good support in your family or friends or acquaintances or does anybody really understand what 
you and your daughter are working through? I actually think that I've kind of done a little bit of a pulling back because I don't feel like there are a lot of people out there that do understand and get what this life is. Things come up and happen at the last minute. It can be a very lonely life. And so, my goodness, I don't know what I would do without my husband. Um, he's a, a really good support system. And, and I'm also seeing a therapist to help as well. Can I ask, what does a good day look like to you these days? There's no crying or constantly being sick upstairs. It's just, I, I tell you, I created like an oasis in this backyard. And I love to just sit out here and be able to just enjoy this and stay close to home and try and find some contentment. I would say that the biggest challenge for me with respect to caregiver, I'm not really like a caregiver in the sense that I'm like dousing her head with a wash rag in that, that traditional sense, but I am the one that has to get her to the doctor's appointments and I'm the one that, that does all of that. She cannot drive. So yeah, there is a level of, I think, isolation and sadness. I think I'm going to start up a coffee clutch for moms in this area that can make it just so that I think it would be nice for people to have a, a place where they could just sit with people who get it. I mean, our loved ones, they love us and they want to do what they can, but you know, unless you're living this life, you just don't get it. What is the best support or help people could give you? Do you know, or do you think it's impossible if they don't get it? I don't think that there's anything, you know, that I would, you know, say that, that I don't get from other people. I think more than anything, it's myself and the pressure that I put on myself of letting people down because I'm always canceling or, you know, sometimes we're going through some really rough stuff around here and I just don't want to go out. So you had mentioned that you had created a nice oasis in your backyard. Is there anything else like that that gives you strength or comfort or helps you deal with all this? We have just recently, since the pandemic began, discovered a love for the mountains. And so we've been doing a fair amount of day trips and we've discovered hiking. So, you know, the, the sounds and the the way that it feels and smells there is just really comforting. So that's another thing that we have been doing. And I'm a big fan of sound healing and, you know, using that kind of stuff as well. And music, love music, floating in the pool, yoga, walking, you know, not always good about doing that stuff, but thoughts there. Is that very different for you from your life before chronic illness? No, I feel in a lot of ways like I'm kind of getting back to my old self and doing the things that I enjoy doing. I was just telling my husband I saw a meme the other day that, that said to create a, a life that you feel so content so that you're not in a life and an environment in your home so that you don't feel like you need a vacation 
and I feel like, you know, working towards doing something like that makes a big, big difference. Can I ask what is an average day look like for your daughter? A lot of sleeping. She does research. She's got a lot of things that she's interested in. She's got a number of shows that are her favorites that she watches over and over and over again. She is engaged. She met this young man, I guess it was about three or four months before she got sick. And he has not left her side. They've been together since she got sick. He didn't run when the bladder bag was taped to her her left leg because that was when this started. Her bladder went into retention. She still has she still has what they call a neurogenic bladder. So she still has bladder issues as well. Which I think is interesting. That's where it started. Right. So how long has she been with her now fiance then? Six years. That's great. And what do they do now together to enjoy each other's company compared to what they did when they first met? They don't really do that much. And, you know, it's interesting with Sean because his youngest sister has similar issues. So that wasn't a surprise to him. And Emily is very high-functioning, so... That's what always got us into trouble with the teachers in school. They're like, what are you talking about? She's nonverbal. She talks all the time. I'm like, that's not what nonverbal means. And then we'd hit the October slide and it was too late. Right. For people who don't know, do you mind explaining October slide? So it seems like the the end of September, the, the kids just... They just literally had hit it. They just literally start slipping and sliding and they just slam right into that wall sometime in October. And it was always about that time that her teachers would go, oh, yeah, tell me again what what's going on. I really would love to see at the ERs, at the triage level, nurses, all of the nurses knowing about POTS. Because, man, is that frustrating to get there at triage and expect them to sit upright for two hours. I mean, I, I understand that there are some hot, some ERs that are starting to get some POTS protocols in place, so I guess we're making some progress. But six years ago, when we were going to an ER, it was not that way. Right. And I'm glad you bring that up. And then also with the mast cell activation syndrome, I know a lot of patients they go to an ER and they start feeling worse because of all the smells and chemicals. They have to really feel like they're in some grave, grave danger in order to go sit in a place full of triggers. Yeah, for sure. Were you pretty quick to figure everything out? Did a diagnosis come pretty quickly or? Oh, gosh, no. No, where we were at, we were going into the ER on a regular basis and they were saying, you need to go see a gastro, you need to go see a psychiatrist just giving her more and more labels and not getting to the bottom of what it was. And I think that that was a contributing factor to, does that even make sense that at some point though, that her capillaries and her feet from the swelling, from the fluid retention would, is that how that happens? I don't know that that causes the capillaries to start leaking because that's a little unnerving. 
So, so do you mind talking a little bit more about what sounds like maybe a labyrinth of doctors and symptoms and issues that finally led you to have all these answers? Like how long did it take? How many doctors did you see? What, what were you going to the ER for originally? It was just a fluke. We were starting to work with a neurogeneticist at Kennedy Krieger. But it was for something completely separate. But she was she had been having these issues with her bladder because that's where it started. And so he was the one that eventually said, because things started happening, she's getting admitted into the hospital for two nights and things like that. He's like, I think she's got pods. I think this is pods. He's the one that suspected it and had ordered the tilt table test and recommended Dr. Abdullah. But it was a good two years into this journey before we got near a doctor that could give her any kind of medication to give her any kind of relief. It was such a helpless feeling. Did you go through a period where they said it was just anxiety or just in her head or things like that? Yes. Yes. There was definitely a lot of that. Did you ever consider that it was just that or what, what made you decide to keep fighting for more answers? I don't know. Maybe it's just the way that I'm, I'm wired. I don't, I don't stop until my husband says, eat off. Because <laughs> <laughs> we've taken her to even down to the Amen Clinic in um, Washington, D.C. That's where we had learned that she actually has brain damage that I did not know she has. So what things have you found that help the most, if anything, with just quality of life or any symptom or has there been any treatment or trick or life hack or anything that feels like it made the biggest difference? No, I would, I would say with her, she's just now starting to realize that it takes more than one thing. There's no magic pill that's going to make her get better. And I think I hear that a lot and read that a lot. I think patients just, they have to realize that. Well, when you say that, it does, it kind of reminds me of a time, and I think a lot of patients go through this, where at first you think, okay, there's going to be a cure for this, and some time goes by and there's no cure for it, and then you try some things and it eventually dawns on you that you have to maybe work hard and combine some things, and if each little thing gives you a 5 or 10% improvement, that's pretty good. And I imagine lots of people get luckier. But for some of us, it can sometimes feel like a big readjustment to your expectations. Is she handling that? Well, I know that she's completely left social media. She just, she can't do social media. It was too hard for her. So I worry about that. Comparing and hearing about other people's lives, you mean? Yeah, I think it was just too difficult for her to see her friends in college and getting married and having babies and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I wanted to say one thing. I don't know if there's any proven science to it, but I do put a lot of value in Dr. Abdallah. Are you familiar with mm -hmm. him? So he sat with us at her last appointment with him and he said, you know, I really hate when I have to have these conversations with patients, but I've done everything, tried everything that I can think of for you. But he said, we don't, these are not exact words, but basically the gist of it was that he doesn't understand why, but they're finding that patients are, are doing better in the San Diego area. 
he had suggested, I'm assuming it's barometric pressure. In fact, I think that's what he said. So, and barometric pressure is really bad where we live here in PA. So that also contributes to her suffering. Oh, that's interesting. So we actually looked into going to San Diego. He said, if you could, you know, do it for a couple weeks, four weeks would be ideal. But, you know, who can do that? We were going to do two weeks, but I had to cancel it because we hit a snag with her home health agency. I didn't want to risk getting all the way to California and taking her to an ER in California and they won't give her saline. And so we canceled it. But it might be helpful information to other people. Right. Right. Oh, that's interesting. So you had mentioned that your daughter is engaged. Does she have plans to have a wedding? And what would that look like for her? I think that the plan, the last time we talked about it, doesn't. we don't talk about it very, very often. She is not interested in the big wedding with uh, hundreds of people looking at her. She doesn't want that experience. I think that they're talking about a simple thing and then we'll probably throw them a party in the backyard. Does she still have old friends that she keeps in touch with or that she gets together with? Or has that been difficult? She has one girlfriend. I know I know that, that there's a, a couple of, of young ladies from her past that still reach out to her and text her and stuff. She does have one girlfriend that comes here on a regu- pretty regular basis now. I mean, it's hard when you're working full time. I mean, they're 25 now, so. Can I ask, have her symptoms stabilized or do they evolve or change still? When she's in a flare-up, it can go all over the place. The last time she was in a really bad flare-up, I've never seen her blood pressure so low. She's being monitored and we're assured everything is okay. So it's a really unpredictable journey and you definitely feel like you're on a roller coaster ride. Do you feel like POTS has taught you or her any lessons? I think it definitely shown me anyways that I'm a lot stronger than I give myself credit for. And with her, I'm not sure because she's she doesn't really talk too much about stuff like that. She's actually pretty guarded. Is there any silver lining at all to the POTS or related things? I don't know if I could ever say that I would perceive it as a silver lining. (laughs) I mean, the quality of life that I see that she has. Some of my POTS mom friends that I've met here through one of the local chapters, I mean, wow. It just seems really, really unfair. Can you talk more about that? You mentioned you know other POTS moms through some chapters. What's that like? Is that helpful to connect? What do you talk about? Well, before the pandemic, I had taken a run at hosting Dysautonomia International PA meetup at the Hershey Medical Center. But then that was that was canceled once the pandemic hit. But, you know, I knew that it wasn't for me because I was finding that I was dreading going. Because that is not my forte. I am not a therapist. And that is not where I definitely shine. And and I just remember thinking when 
the like, girl that runs did this Autonomy International made the announcement that they were canceled indefinitely. I just went, oh, thank God. You know, and I feel really bad. I'm sorry to anybody that, you know, came to the meetups because I love everybody that I met. But that's just not my thing. And that's that's why I was thinking that I want to do this coffee clutch instead. Yeah. When you speak with other moms, do you feel like your experience is common among the POTS moms? We all have definitely have different life experiences, but it is definitely nice to know we're going through very similar things. I mean, I, I, I'm definitely learning that that's important to have people like that in your life that are going through similar things to your journey because it will make it easier. So we have a set of questions that we intend for them to be a little bit on the lighter side and we call it the speed round. And would you be up for doing the speed round where it's just the first thing that comes to your mind? Oh, I'll try. I'll do my best. We've had a couple of brain parts <laughs> already. What is your daughter's favorite way to get salt? French fries. What is the drink that she finds the most hydrating? Good old-fashioned water. Now this one's about you. What is your favorite time of the day and why? My favorite time of the day is in the morning when I'm having coffee and outside just looking at everything. I love to sit and watch the birds and the bird feeders and stuff. How many doctors do you think that you have consulted? Oh my goodness. Probably a gross underestimate. Are you just in the last six years? 20? Of those 20, how many have been able to give you answers or improvements? Three. Can you believe that? Well, yes, but only because I've, <laughs> I've been through it myself. But yeah, I think you have to kiss some frogs and try a lot of things. A lot of times, honestly, I feel like I might as well just, you know, put a bunch of names on a target and just throw a dart and see what happens. <laughs> yeah. And I realize now that for so many of those doctor's appointments, I would show up hoping with all hope that this was the doctor and this was the appointment that was going to fix my life. And now looking back, I realized that I would get so worked up for months because oftentimes for some of the specialists, you know, there's very long wait lists and it's almost like waiting for your day in court and like something's going to change. And looking back, I think I put myself through a lot of emotional wear and tear gearing up for that. And my expectations were way too high. Has that been your experience too? Absolutely. And I would say that that is why she is at the point that she's at now where she's just, at this present moment, she just does not want to be poked and prodded anymore. Yeah. So, okay. So what is something small that brings you comfort or joy? Something small that brings me comfort or joy. My little Morky. And what's something small that brings your daughter comfort or joy? Probably her cell phone. Who's someone that you admire? I admire a mother who lost a son who was in the military. And, and I've, I've been following her, her journey, and um, she's a big inspiration to me. 
What is a word that describes what it's like living with chronic illness? It sucks. Okay, what is something that you're proud of? Wow, my gardening skills. (laughs) And what is something that you're grateful for? I am really grateful for the technology that has arrived since during this pandemic. Because I think it's opened up so many windows and avenues for people that, as an example, we are seeing a doctor that there's no way we would be able to see under normal circumstances in Manhattan that is treating her for her migraines right now. The technology. Technology to have these visits with my mother and our son. It's really nice. Yeah. So I just have a few more questions. Earlier you had mentioned that some of the diagnoses that your daughter received, they did serve to provide you with a lot of validation over kind of what you had been seeing and experiencing. And it sounds like none of the treatments or doctors have given you any miracles or any giant leaps forward. But do you think that the validation alone is worth very much? Do you think that just just not wondering what's going on provides you with quite a good value? Are you glad you did all of that just to have the answers, even if there's not that much that's come of it yet? Yeah, for sure. I would definitely say to never give up with keeping those fires burning and exploring what could be going on. Don't take no for an answer. What do you wish more people knew about POTS and related conditions? (sighs) That it is different for everybody and that it, it, there's a whole broad spectrum of it. And if you know somebody that lives in one part of the country and maybe they're not severe and then you know somebody in another part of the country and they're a lot more severe, you cannot compare. You cannot ever compare POTS patients because they always have something different. I think that they each have different things going on and it's certainly not diminishing anybody's suffering because it's awful conditions. And why did you agree to let us share your story today? To be able to participate in, I think that this is you're on to something really big doing this and and to be able to participate on this platform and have the attraction of so many other ears listening it's just better opportunity to raise awareness and make noise that's all i want to do is make noise about pots well thank you so much for helping us to make noise and thank you for sharing your story and i hope things get easier and better for you and emily Thank you. We really appreciate your sharing your story. I think sometimes the people the most excited to share their stories are the ones who have had more success. And I think it's really important for us not only to hear from the people somehow found a way. Certainly still, I'm still working to find the way because I, I feel like life definitely changed. Well, maybe we can check in with you again in some time and see how things are going. 
Well, thanks again, Linda. And to our listeners, remember, this is not medical advice. Consult your healthcare team about what's right for you. And please consider subscribing because it helps us get discovered by other people like you. But thank you so much for tuning in. Remember that you're not alone and please join us again soon. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts or on our website, www.standinguptopots.org slash podcast. And I would add, if you have any ideas or topics you'd like to suggest, send them in. You can also engage with us on social media at the handle Standing Up to Pots. Thanks for listening, and we hope you join us. This show is a production of Standing Up to Pots.